Well, good morning. Is everybody awake? And I was freezing over in the shade over here. So if you need to stand up at any time during this uh, sermon, feel free to stand up. You can run in place, get that blood going. That, 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 that would be great. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our journey through the first 15 chapters of Exodus. And as a, a quick review, in chapter 1, we read that after a regime, a regime change in Egypt, the new king was deeply concerned about how the Hebrews were continuing to grow and flourish. Pharaoh, he saw the, the Hebrews as a threat to them, to him and to his reign, and so he set out to make their lives miserable by enslaving them, and when that didn't work, he hatched a plan to kill all the firstborn male Hebrew babies. But because of God's covenant with the Hebrews, God didn't abandon his people. And instead, he appointed Moses to help lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And in chapter 2, we read that when Moses was 40... He took the law into his own hands, and he killed an Egyptian slave master who was beating one of the Hebrews. News of what Moses had done spread throughout the community and the palace, and Pharaoh was extremely angry with Moses. And so he set out to murder him. And so last week we read that Moses, he fled to Midian where he found shelter with Raul, and he was given Zipporah in marriage, and they had a son by the name of Gershom. For Moses understood that he was a sojourner in a foreign land. Now this morning, we're going to look at three verses, in verses 23 through 25. And the author, this morning, he turns our attention back to Egypt and the events that are transpiring there. And as we look at these three verses this morning, we discover three things. First, the current state of the Hebrews. Secondly, we learn the role of prayer and deliverance. And thirdly, we learn that God hears the prayers of his people. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray on this uh, chilly morning that you would give us minds and hearts that are attentive to you that you would teach us through your word, that your word would convict and challenge us, make us more like you, Jesus. And we pray this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. So if you have your bulletins, I encourage you to pull them out, or you can, you can um, also look at your Bible. The first thing that I want us to consider as we look at these verses is the current state of the Hebrews. Now, sometimes when leadership changes, a change happens among the people. But in verse 23, the author tells us that though Moses' grandfather had died, the oppression of the Hebrews continued. And the author really wants us to understand the depth of despair among the Hebrews. And so he uses many descriptive words to indicate how deeply the Hebrews were suffering. He says, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. 
The word groaned here in Hebrew is a deep guttural moan. It indicates a pain so deep that the Hebrew people couldn't even find words to express their suffering at the hands of the evil empire. Paul uses this same language, which many of you are familiar with, in Romans 8, 22 through 23. Paul writes, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. For the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The Hebrews, they had been in bondage to the Egyptians for nearly 80 years. Day after day, they were made to do hard labor, making bricks, building Pharaoh's many elaborate buildings, and then working from sun up to sundown out in the Egyptian fields. They were exhausted, so much so. That the author says they cried out for help. Now again, you, you think of this crying out for help is words, but it's not words. They're in so much pain, they can't even express themselves with words at this point. They literally shrieked aloud, expressing their hurt and pain. And so we see the present state of the Hebrews. They were really at a breaking point. Their suffering for the past 80 years at the hands of Pharaoh had taken a horrible toil on their bodies and their hearts. They were tired and full of despair, wondering how much longer, how much longer must they suffer? And so as we consider first the state of the Hebrews, we see that they are crying out, they're moaning, they're in pain. And this moaning and pain then leads them to use words to turn to God and to bring their call for rescue to him. And so the second thing I want us to consider this morning as we look at these verses is the role of prayer in deliverance. When the Hebrews had hit rock bottom and there was nowhere else to turn, the author tells us that the Hebrews... They pray to God. They ask him to rescue them from their slavery. The Hebrews, they literally talk to God. And as we will see in verse 25, the prayer of the people of God stirred God to usher in their deliverance. Their prayer stirred God to usher in their deliverance. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because I'm sure many of you are thinking, Todd, over the past several weeks, we've talked a lot about the providence of God. It was God who brought the Israelites to Egypt. It wasn't by happenstance that they were in slavery. God allowed it. God was in control. It was God's hand that was moving among the midwives to thwart Pharaoh's plan. And it was God's hand who called and rescued Moses from the Nile. God is in control. We see the hand of God at work even in the midst of Moses' failure. 
as he's able to flee Pharaoh's wrath and then go to Midian. God's in control. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And his will is fixed. And so when it comes to the need for us to pray, you might be thinking to yourself, surely God, God can be left without our help to attend to this on his own. Surely in this matter of his central providential care and saving plans for his people, he needs no prompting. Yet what we see in our passage this morning is the beautiful mystery between prayer and God carrying out his purposes. None of us, this side of heaven, will ever completely understand prayer. But an unchanging God, whose will is fixed, has established that our prayers, your prayers, my prayers, our prayers this morning, serve as a secondary means to help accomplish God's will. Our prayers never, ever, ever change God's mind. For this is impossible since we know that God is immutable. He's unchanging. But our prayers change things. God has established that his sons and daughters are to pray. And by so doing, it not only reflects our need of him, our prayers help promote the purposes of God. And so here in our text this morning, we see that the Hebrews' prayers come up to God and they promote his will. They stir him toward redemption. Now you might be asking yourself, if the Hebrews had not prayed, would they have been delivered? And the answer is absolutely yes. Because neither our action or inaction can thwart the decreative will of God. But God has established his ways such that he invites his sons and his daughters to pray to him. To intercede on behalf of those around us. To ask for justice and mercy to be poured out. And to be obedient to Christ's call for us to lift our voices up to God and to pray to him. I cannot explain the mystery, this relationship between prayer and God's sovereignty. But God's word tells us that our prayers help carry out God's purposes. Prayer plays a part in the Hebrews' deliverance. And prayer plays a role in establishing God's kingdom in Greensboro and around the world. There is no way that I can top a Wendy's um, announcement last week when it comes to prayer. And I'm certainly not going to do that little dance that she did at the end. But I want to echo what she said last week. And that is that we, because of the mystery of prayer, and because God hears our prayers, and because God listens in such a way that our prayers make a difference, and therefore, I want to encourage us, especially in this difficult season, to be a people who pray. I want, you, and I want to invite you to intercede on behalf of those around you who are hurting and who need God's healing. I want to invite you to bring their needs to God every day. And though there is a mystery 
God has commanded us to pray. God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers in his timing and in his way. Our prayers help promote his will in our lives and in the lives of those around us. In a nutshell, our prayers are a part of God's design to establish his kingdom. And so the first thing we see as we look at our verses this morning, we see the present state of the Hebrew people, and they were in a desperate state. And out of this desperation, they cried out, they prayed to God, and it stirred him. And thirdly and lastly, we see that God hears and answers the prayers of his people. God hears and answers the prayers of his people. Interestingly, if you look back at verses 11 through 15 from last week, there are 16 verbs in those verses. And Moses is the grammatical subject of 14 of them. But as we look at these two verses in our passage this morning, the action, it passes from Moses into the hands of God. It is God who intervenes. And it is he who intrudes so abruptly, so disruptively in the tenor of Moses' adopted role of shepherd that Daniel will be talking about next week. One commentator says it this way, Human effort alone will fail. The only way forward is to mobilize God on our side. The text tells us the Hebrews prayed and God was mobilized. Look at these verses. It says that God heard their groaning. I can remember as a kid going to the pool, we would go and spend all day there. And and the the pool deck was full of moms and all the kids. We were in the pool and we were making noise and screaming and yelling. And if I called out to my mom in the midst of all that noise, my mom would hear my voice because she knew my voice. In verse 24, in the midst of all the noise and commotion of the world, the Hebrews call out for their papa. And the author tells us that he recognized their voices. He heard their groaning. And at this point, he could have simply played the role of a good counselor and practiced active listening. But our text tells us that their prayers stirred him to remember, to remember his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God not only heard their prayers, but their prayers stirred him in such a way that he remembered his covenant with them. And as he weighed their request, you and I can find great comfort That his response was not conditioned on their past or present behavior. His response was not based on anything they might do in the future. His response was not predicated on his affinity for them. His response was primarily based on his 
character and his covenant promise. Genesis 15 tells us that God established a covenant with Abraham. And he came to Abraham and he took him outside and he said, Look up at the stars, Abraham, and I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. A nation of Israel. And you're going to be a nation that I'm going to bless so that you might be a blessing to others. God established a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God promises that he will never forsake Israel. That he's going to bless her so that she might be a blessing to others. And though she is in slavery, as their prayers come up to God and as he hears them, he remembers his covenant commitment to them. And because he is a God of integrity, his own character hems him in and propels him to act. And so we see as their prayers are lifted up that God hears the Hebrews. He remembers his covenant. And then we also see that God sees his people. The author here, it's no accident, he's using the exact same language that he used in verse 11. When Moses goes out and he sees his Hebrew brothers and sisters. In verse 25, God also sees the Hebrews. God turned his eyes toward the Israelites. And he sees their plight. He sees how they've been mistreated. He sees how hard they have worked. He sees how they've continued to maintain their faith in him. He sees their horrific situation and he has compassion on them. The truth is we serve a God who sees. In the Hebrew, the word for that name of God is Elroy. And while a part of us is frightened by the aspect of God seeing us, Another part of us longs to be seen by him, longs to be known by him. We were created to be seen. And in this verse, the author tells us that God, he hears, God remembers his covenant, and God sees his people. And then lastly, in this verse, the author, he reminds us, that God knows the Hebrews. The word here in the Hebrew, it connotates a deep intimacy. Just as Adam knew his wife, God here is reassuring us that he knows his children. Psalm 1-6 says, God knows the way of the righteous. One commentator says, God registers how they are and then maintains an intimate and knowledgeable relationship with them. As they go through life. The author wants to say, I know you're in a desperate place. I know you're hurting. I know you feel like you've been abandoned. But I hear you. I remember my covenant to you. And I see you and I know you intimately. I know every hair on your head. And as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of the movie Goodwill Hunting. In that movie, you have Robin Williams who plays a counselor and you have Matt Damon who plays a young, arrogant, brilliant young man who is very troubled. And there's a scene where, where Matt Damon comes into Robin Williams' office 
and basically skewers Robin Williams with all of his knowledge because he had a photographic memory and he, and he had memorized all these books. And Robin Williams just tells him to get out of his office. The next week, when Matt Damon comes back, Robin says, let's go for a walk. And they go for a walk. And he says, do you feel the air around you? Do you see the trees? And, and Matt's character said, yes, I do. And he goes, there's a difference in reading in a book and knowing something about someone. You can read a book and you can know about World War II. But there's a big difference for those World War II vet- veterans who've actually experienced it. Robin went to say, you know, it's one thing to read about love. It's another thing to hold your wife's hand as she's dying of cancer and to say goodbye to her. The truth is, our God doesn't just know about us from afar and from a distance. As if he had read a book about us. Our God knows us because he came down. He was with us. He's held our hands. He's walked with us. He's loved us. And the author here is telling the Hebrews, be encouraged. Your heavenly Father is with you. He knows you. He loves you. He hears your cries. And he promises that he is going to answer. And he is going to offer deliverance. Left to ourselves, deliverance is impossible. Left to themselves, deliverance was impossible for the Hebrews. But praise the Lord, we serve a God that invites us to pray, to talk to him, to bring our requests before him. And then he promises that he hears us, that he sees us, that he knows us. And that he will answer us. There is not a prayer that any of us have ever prayed that has gone unanswered. Silence doesn't mean that he doesn't answer. He answers every one of our prayers. And maybe sometimes in ways that we don't like. Ways that we don't see. But our text this morning is a powerful reminder that if we want justice in our city... We need to be a people that pray. If we want God to transform our marriages, we need to pray. If we want God to heal us from addiction, from pain, from suffering, we need to be a people who pray. And then he promises that our prayers move him. They don't change him, but they move him in such a way to bring about his purposes. I know what some of you are facing this morning. But God knows everything that you're facing this morning. And he cares deeply for you this morning. And he promises to act not based on what we've done or what we will do or even our mutterings and our broken prayers that go up to him. He acts because he is a holy and perfect God who has established a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and with us. Church, this gives us hope in the midst of this pandemic 
This gave the Hebrews hope in the midst of their slavery. Like Aslan was constantly on the move in Narnia, turning back the great witch's curse, God is on the move in our lives and in our world in the darkest of circumstances. I have no idea why he invites us broken, sinful humans to be a part of that process, but he does. And as we pray to him, we pray with confidence, knowing that God hears us, he remembers his promises, he sees us, and he knows us intimately. And therefore, he is always acting on our behalf to bring about his good, perfect, and pleasing will. And so in closing this morning, I think it's appropriate for us to stand and to lift our voices together in unison as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So let's lift our voices together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.